Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Patent system should absolutely be obliterated because it's a useless piece of garbage that is just sitting on top of all of us and ruining small businesses and can never possibly work because there's no way you could possibly have the government deciding who owns what idea. Of course, that's not going to work. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. What is up, you Liberty Lunatics? And welcome back once again to your flagship program, the original Lions of Liberty podcast. This is the 310th episode, as a matter of fact. And by the end of the show, you're definitely going to want to check out the show notes, which you can find over at lionsofliberty.com slash 310. And that's where I'll link to the documentary that I'm going to be discussing with today's guest known as the patent scam. And if you are at all on the fence when it comes to the legitimacy of patents, whether from a libertarian perspective or really any perspective, quite honestly, I want to challenge you to reevaluate that perspective after today's interview with Austin Meyer, the producer of the patent scam documentary. You can watch that right now on Amazon iTunes, and an assortment of other places out there on the internet. Again, I will link to all of those in the show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 310. My guest today is the inventor of a world-renowned flight simulator called X-Plane, and eventually found himself being sued for a, a seemingly ludicrous patent infringement claim In response to this ordeal, he produced the documentary, The Patent Scam, which we'll be discussing today. I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Austin Meyer. Austin, are you ready to roar? The answer is yes. All right. After after seeing this documentary, I was pretty sure you would be. <laughs> but uh, and before we get into more about your suit and, and what you specifically went through that led you to produce the patent scam, I want to learn a little bit more about yourself. And obviously, this all started when you created this flight simulator software called X-Plane. So how did you first become fascinated with flying to the, to the point you actually ended up creating this entire software based around it? Okay, so I don't know exactly when I became uh, most interested in flying. This is like eight years old or ten years old, so it's too long ago for me to remember exactly, except other than that uh, it just seemed cool to be able to fly model airplanes. And then when I flew a flight simulator, I saw I could fly real airplanes as well. So um, once I saw I could fly real airplanes, by trying out the flight simulator, I started thinking, well, what if I made my own flight simulator? And I assumed I couldn't. I assumed that the only way to simulate flight was to use Microsoft Flight Simulator, which is kind of the de facto standard at the time. But Microsoft Flight Simulator wasn't flexible. You couldn't put in any airplane. You couldn't put in any cockpit. You couldn't make the simulator be customized to your personal airplane. And for that reason, I started writing X-Plane. It was a flight simulator for me, just for myself, so I could practice flying on a simulator that could be customized to any airplane. And uh, coming out of college, um, I decided to put it online, see if anybody else wanted uh, to try it. And uh, since then, the sim's gotten, obviously, it's called X-Plane. It's gotten better and better every year. And now it's pretty much replacing Microsoft Flight Simulator as the standard uh, 
non-military general purpose flight simulator. So this has become a pretty big deal in the in the flight simulator world, I guess. Now that's pretty cool that you can basically if you have any plane, you can go in and and customize those settings so that the flight simulator later more accurately represents the the plane you're actually going to be flying as opposed to just whatever generic plane Microsoft had up there. Right. And there's basically three ways you do this. One is the flight model, which is how the airplane flies. You have to make it fly like the real airplane. Two is how the airplane looks. All right, You want to look like the real airplane when you go to the external view. And this is actually the least important one, by the way, of all of them. But still, still, we want it to look just right. And then three is uh, the instrument panel. It has to be laid out with all the same instruments and all the same locations as in the real airplane so that a pilot flying the simulator can get used to it and then fly the real airplane more accurately based on his experience in the sim. So it needs to look like the plane from the outside, have the same instruments on the inside, and fly like the real airplane. So these are the three levels of customization used to make X-Plane just like the real aircraft. Well, that, that all makes sense to me. And, you know, when I first heard about your case, I, I just presumed that the reason you were being sued for a patent infringement was obviously you must have, uh, you know, created software in a way that was somehow similar to maybe Microsoft or what another company <laughs> had made. Uh, only after nope. looking at, into it further, I found out that it is nothing like that. So why don't you tell everybody just how this lawsuit first came to your attention and what were you actually being accused of infringing upon? Okay. So, yeah. So <laughs> it, it sounds ridiculous, former. and it is, and it's going right. to, but uh, I, I, I think this is, this is reflected in the documentary. You still seem yeah. to be able to maintain a pretty good attitude about things and laugh oh, about Oh, yeah, it. I can maintain a good attitude. Um, yeah, when you hear patent infringement, you think, oh, no, Austin stole somebody's idea. Ooh, that's what you think. And, of course, that's what I would have thought if you'd asked me five years ago before this whole mess started. This is about four or five years ago. I was working at a trade show in Wisconsin called Air Venture, where pilots go to fly. And I'm just working the trade show, trying to sell people X-Plane, letting them fly it, selling it to them for 60 bucks a, co- a copy, and a phone rings. There's a lawyer on the other side of the phone. He says, I noticed you've been sued for patent infringement. I'm wondering if you know maybe I could represent you. And it's like, I haven't been sued for patent infringement. I've never even read a patent. I can't be sued for patent infringement when I've never even read anybody else's patent. If I haven't read anybody else's patent, how could I be copying it? I mean, that couldn't even exist. I mean, that would be like the phone ringing for each of your viewers right now listening to this show and a lawyer on the other side saying, oh, just by the way, I just want you to know you've just been sued for patent infringement. <laughs> I mean, there's literally zero, zero connection to anything I've done, zero connection to reality in any way, shape, or form, zero expectation or awareness, anything like this could happen, would happen, even could happen, just out of the blue, you've been sued for patent infringement. So like, you know, you check mail, you know, and it's, you've got mail. Well, here it's just like, <laughs> you've got patent infringement suit. And it's like, what? What? And I just told him he was wrong. And the lawyer goes, no, no, I'm not wrong. You have been. And I said, I'm working right now. Go away. Click, hung up on him. And I finished working the trade show. It was a week long for the rest of the week. And I got home from uh, Air, Air Venture, uh, Oshkosh, as they call it, um, I called the lawyer back. I said, okay, I'm, I'm done with my air show. I, I, I'm done working. Tell me what the hell you're talking about. And uh, he said, yeah, you've, you've been sued for patent infringing on patent number, you know, 8675438 or whatever it was, you know, some 10-digit number that nobody could ever remember. <laughs> and I said, why? And he said, well, you used the Google Play Store to distribute your app. I was like, what? He said, you use the Google Play Store to distribute your app. And the uh, the, the people that are suing you uh, claim to own the patent on how the Google Play Store works. And so they're going around suing people that are using the Google Play Store. And you're one of them. <laughs> 
And I said, well, this, this is ridiculous. I can't be sued for using the Google Play Store by people that have nothing to do with Google. So just, just toss it out. Tell them I'm not giving them money. Toss it out. And he said, well, yeah, I'd love for you to retain me. Um, you have $3 million, right? <laughs> I was like, what? Unbelievable. He said, that's, well, that's how much it costs. If you want to defend a patent lawsuit all the way through trial, you'll need about $3 million. So, um, you know, can you start sending me money now? So at this point in, in time here, you the only knowledge you have of this lawsuit is through this lawyer that has called you. Is that right? You haven't received any other independent notification? Correct. I didn't receive any summons. I never heard from this this entity that was suing me, which I later learned was a company called Unilot. Sounds like an evil futuristic company of some kind. I, it's Maybe it sounds like it. What it actually is is uh, an address in a lawyer's office. It's not actually a company of people that make things. The address of Unilock is the lawyer's office that files the lawsuits. That is it. That is the address. So it's not actually a company in any sense of the word that I would call a company. Because when I say company, I imagine people making things. Right. Uh, this is a lawyer's office. Um, and when you go to unilock.com, it says members only. <laughs> and no one else is allowed to see anything. So if it's a company, it exists of a web page that just says web members only and an address that is a lawyer's office uh, in Texas. And um, the next thing I learned is I was being sued in the Eastern District of Texas and that I was being sued. One of the lawyers on the case was named John Ward and his son, his dad, his dad was named Johnny Ward, who was one of the judges in that district that handled these cases. Purely a coincidence, I'm sure. Yeah, so I'm seeing sued by a guy named James Etheridge, whose law office is the address of the company, the supposed company suing me. And he has helping him, John Ward, whose dad is a judge in that same tiny, tiny little district that hears these cases. So I imagine this is setting off some red flags for you. Well, I mean, red flags doesn't even begin to cover it. I mean, the stress was so high that, I mean, literally, it was destroying my ability to work in my business. My wife was so stressed out, she didn't want to have a second child because of the stress if if a mother is under stress while she is pregnant, it will damage the IQ of the unborn baby. It will it will damage your unborn child. And so literally my wife decided she did not want to have a second child uh, during this lawsuit. I was actually so stressed out at the time. And I'm not anymore. But at the time I was so stressed out that I was frustrated to the point it was costing me my ability to sleep or work. The real terror, the real fear was that not just that I was being sued for using the Google store, but that I was being sued by someone that had nothing to do with the creation of the Google store and was claiming to be a company that in fact, to the extent was a company, it was just an address in a law office that it was being assisted by someone whose dad hears these cases. And I was going to be brought against my will into the Eastern District of Texas, which is like some sort of kind of like little leftover corner of the country that in many ways is still kind of like trapped in 1950. They don't actually have tech industries in the Eastern District of Texas that I can find. I went there. Okay, I flew out there and I and I toured this place and I put what I saw on YouTube. There's no tech industry that I can find. It's just law offices and abandoned, empty, empty office buildings with the names of companies on all the doors of these abandoned buildings and those empty shells 
are the fake – I'm going to say fake addresses, and I call them fake because there's nothing there but an abandoned office. I'm going to call that – that's what I mean when I say fake address. Yeah, in that, in that documentary, you even you, – it shows you physically going to these locations, and there is yep. no sign of life <laughs> whatsoever. Right. For three days, three days, uh, we drove and flew around uh, East Texas, Marshall, Tyler, and Longview, Texas. And here's what I did. I took the addresses of the first 50 patent infringement lawsuits I could find. This, these weren't cherry-picked. These are just the first 50 I could find. And I just went through them. I, I grouped them in you know, alphabetical order and Marshall, Tyler, and Longview, Texas. And with a film crew, I went to each of these addresses. And they were almost all empty, abandoned buildings that had literally nothing there they were deserted it was like being in a sunken ship as you just go from office to office the only businesses I found that were not deserted were law offices where there were actual lawyers there doing whatever lawyers do but the um, the address of the company filing the lawsuit was the lawyer's office. So the lawyers are apparently filing these lawsuits pretending to be a company, and they've, they just formed the, the shell company or the dummy corporation inside their own law office because they're too lazy, apparently, to go somewhere else to collect the mail. The only other one I found that was not was a UPS box. One of them actually used a UPS <laughs> box as their address. And then there was another one that was a private investigator's firm, and that's uh, the name of the firm and all that is in my video. But uh, a private investigations firm, and they're actually private investigators sitting there. And I said, why am I seeing patent infringement lawsuits coming out of this this address, which is a tiny, tiny little room about the size of an outhouse with two private investigators sitting there at computers? And at first, they tried to deny that I was at the right place. Like, we don't know about that. We've never heard of anything like that. And I showed them the lawsuit that came out of their own office with their address right in the lawsuit. And then one of them just said, well, patents are property, and since it's our property, we own it, and we can sue who we want for it. And bam, slammed the door in my face, pushed me out and, and slammed the door in my face. There were zero out of 50, 50 addresses that we checked. There were zero, zero there were actual businesses that had something to protect that were defending their intellectual property rights. And when you listen to lawyers uh, that, that represent patent trolls, they would say, oh, the little guy has to be able to defend his intellectual property rights. That's also what they say. Yeah, I went to 50 of these addresses. There were zero people defending their intellectual property rights. Zero. Everyone was a fake business. Every single one. So what was the specific wording? What was the specific claim of, of the patent that you were supposedly infringing simply by using the Google Play Store? Uh, well, hang on. I guess I can read it right now. I got some uh, references right here. Sure, yeah. I think when people hear that wording, they will see how, how absurd this is. <laughs> yeah, I, I will read it to you. The patent claim 107, which is, they said I infringed on. I'm going to read it to you. Computer code executable on an electronic device to prevent unauthorized access to electronic data stored on the electronic device. The computer code comprising code for licensing uh, data on portable licensing medium configured to communicate with the electronic device. Code for determining whether to allow access to electronic data based on the licensed data. Code for verifying the licensed data stored on licensing medium by communicating with the registered authority having verification data. And code for providing updated license data received from the registration authority license medium. That's it. What I just read is a claim in the patent that they said I infringed on, and they ruined about five years of my life. They cost me and a bunch of other people about $850,000 in legal fees to defend against that, those things that I just read. And if anybody listens to that and maybe has to listen to it a few times to get it, there is nothing in there that actually describes how to do anything, anything. 
There's no computer code. There is no description of how to do a job. There's nothing that actually invents anything there. There is no invention there. All that is is someone saying, hey, if anybody gets a computer to check another computer to see if uh, a piece of software can be unlocked, well, we own that idea because we wrote it down. So that, that would essentially apply to the Apple Store, the Google Play Store, any any method of distributing apps. Of course, of course. It applies to all stores that involve, and let me read this again, computer code executable on electronic device to prevent unauthorized access to electronic data stored on the electronic device. In other words, any access to unauthorized data, they own the idea of doing that. And what's the unauthorized data? Why, pff, running an app you haven't paid for. If you try to run an app you haven't paid for, you're accessing unauthorized data. And that's what the Google Store does. It makes sure you don't run an app if you hadn't paid for it. So they choose to sue me for distributing an app on the Google Play Store, and they sued about seven or eight other people at the same time as me under the same lawsuit. So how do these guys determine who they're going to sue? Like, obviously, they could, in theory, you'd think if, if there was any legitimacy to this claim in the first place, which it sounds ridiculous on its surface, but if it was legitimate, you think the proper target would be Google or Apple. Right. Okay. So I cannot tell you why they do a thing because I want to be very careful that whatever I say to you now in this interview, I can say again in a slander trial in front of a jury. Gotcha. So I'm not going to try and tell you why they do what they do. Instead, I will tell you the patterns that I have observed. <laughs> okay. And here's the pattern I have observed. They sue businesses that are big enough to have money but often not big enough to defend themselves. Right, they, right in that sweet spot. Exactly. They do not sue, in my experience, they do not sue really super small businesses that make no money at all. And they usually, not always, but usually don't sell, sue the really big successful businesses. They sue businesses that make enough money to be interesting, but not enough money to have three million extra dollars lying around to defend themselves. If they sue Google, I mean, Google will fight and probably crush them. Exactly. And so if they sue, if they were to sue Google, and again, I'm not going to tell you why they do what they do. I'm telling you what I've observed. What I've observed is they did not sue Google. What I suspect is Google has three million dollars to defend themselves and would crush them like a filthy bug. However, when they sue many, 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 many small businesses that use Google as they have done, then those many small businesses are not able to defend themselves. They don't have $3 million to defend themselves, and uh, as a result, they are forced to write a settlement check. And so my experience from looking at the way these types of what's called NPEs or non-practicing entities or other word for companies that do not cr create any goods or services but only sue for patent infringement. They find companies that make enough money to, to be worth a, a six-figure settlement, a couple hundred thousand dollar settlement, um, but they don't have the th total $3 million to defend themselves. Those are the common targets. And if you just sue Google, you're going to lose. Where is your money in that? No, they sue the people that use Google instead because it's a lot – well, and it winds up being a lot more people that they can sue. When did it, the, the idea of producing this documentary come up? Was it after the, the completion of your legal troubles, I presume, or during? No, 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 no. During, absolutely during. So I was just sitting there unable to sleep, grinding my teeth, so 
you know, mad I wanted to just punch people in the face. And the question I was literally asking was, what do these people want me to do? And what they want me to do is give them $50,000. That was the settlement offer they they offered me. They said, if I just give them $50,000, they'd go away. Uh they wanted me to give them $50,000, and coming with that typically would be a non-disclosure agreement, which is means I sign something where I promise to never tell anybody what they did to me, right? And that's absolutely typical with patent trolls. They demand money and a non-disclosure agreement so you cannot tell anybody what happened to you. Um, that's they, they, they told me they wanted $50,000 to go away, and I assumed they would have told me to sign a non-disclosure agreement because that's standard practice. Um, I elected – it's, it just occurred to me. It just occurred to me out of the blue that what I want to do is the exact opposite of what they want. Instead of giving them $50,000 and signing a non-disclosure agreement, I will do the opposite of what they want. I will not give them $50,000, and I will make a documentary that exposes what they did. I like your way better. Yeah, exactly. So I spent about $120,000 in legal fees, okay? $120,000, and I was being sued alongside seven or eight other businesses, mostly small, not all small, but mostly small. And we all shared legal fees. So between all of us together, we spent about $850,000 in legal fees. So over the next four years, we spent $850,000 in legal fees to overturn that one stupid, dorky, vague, useless little sentence that I read you out of the patent a little while ago that doesn't actually invent a single damn thing. And it, it just describes what people are already doing and claims to own the idea because it wrote down what people are doing and no other reason. So we spent years and uh, $850,000 overturning the patent, but we did. Did you do that by, because I know initially, as you describe in the in the film, you did, they, they try to get you to go to these courts in East Texas because that's where all of these lawsuits uh, coincidentally <laughs> emanate from. So did you, did you have to go first go there and then go to like higher level courts to eventually win this? No. Um, so here's what happened. I got a lawyer in Overland Park, Kansas, of all places. It just happened to be there because that's where we found a really good lawyer. And uh, he began the proceeding of overturning that claim in the patent with the patent office. Okay. So the patent office had approved the idea of using computers for unauthorized access to data, which is so stupid. It's just asinine, right? Because people have been doing that for decades. The patent was filed in like 2001 or something like that after this had already been done for decades. Um, and it's after $850,000 and four years, the patent office admitted, oh yeah, maybe we shouldn't have approved that patent. I guess computers have a- accessed authorized data before, in the, before 2001. You know, we never knew that until you pointed that out. Thank you. <laughs> so their answer was oopsie, basically. Yeah, yeah, but it took us $850,000 in four years to get them to admit the obvious, uh, and this this is standard. Okay, this is standard. It's absolutely standard because the patent office approves the dumbest, dumbest, dumbest patents. It's an absolute matter of routine, and uh, and then if you want to overturn that patent, you wind up spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in years to get the patent office to admit the obvious, which is, oh yeah, people have been doing that for years before this patent was filed. And this patent isn't even inventive anyway. It's just describing some work that other people do and have been doing for a long time before the patent was ever filed. Oh yeah. And what they should have realized the first time but were too lazy and incompetent to realize the first time, they then finally admit when you shove the evidence under their nose and they cannot ignore it. And uh, once that patent claim was overturned, we moved for the case to be tossed out. Well, Unilox had an interesting response. They said, oh, so you overturned claim 107? 
well, now we're changing our minds. Now we think you you infringe on two different claims in the same patent. And as far as I can tell, every single one of those claims says the same thing. It's just with the wording a little bit different or the punctuation a little bit different or the phraseology a bit different. So as far as I can tell from this patent, they wrote down basically the same vague idea 113 times so that when we overturn one of those claims over the course of four years and $850,000, then what do they do? They just say, oh, well, now you infringe on a different claim in the same patent, and it's suddenly obvious they can keep this up for literally over 100 years and uh, literally over $100 million. Unbelievable. So they can make it impossible. Uh, the judge in this case, though, uh, even though he was in the Eastern District of Texas, he was not the father of one of the judges, and when we overturned the case – he ba or overturned the patent claim, he basically had no choice but to say only claim 107 was cited in the lawsuit. Claim 107 is overturned. Therefore, there cannot be a, any further lawsuit. And he dismissed the case, but he refused to make Unilock pay anything for what they did. He refused to make Unilock pay our legal fees, as they obviously, obviously would in any sort of a just world at all. And the reason I, – I can't say why the judge does what he does, but I will say the judges in the Eastern District of Texas have a history of never, ever, ever punishing patent trolls for what they do. And while this happens – the patent troll lawsuits keep coming into eastern Texas where they're never punished, and the lawsuits keep giving billable hours to the sons of the judges, specifically John Ward and Bo Davis being the specific two lawyers that uh, whose dads have recently been judges and uh, take these cases. Three, two, one. Hey, folks. I'm Remso W. Martinez, the host of the one, the only Remso Republic podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking, to be exact. This is a pitch for another show. I already listened to too many. But hey, I've got news for you. Each and every Wednesday, you can escape the mindless entertainment and loud political pundits by escaping to the place which truly is the clash of punk rock and politics, the Remso Republic. From comedians to politicians to real-life superheroes and liberty activists, we don't stick to normal often as we hard charge each and every week to bring you the freshest entertainment and news in an ocean of shows fighting for your attention. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many more platforms. Don't miss out. Join the fun and be awesome. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com. What's most frightening about this is that it could literally happen to anybody, anybody that's creating anything, anything at all. This this could happen to. I mean, even in the podcasting industry, I know Adam Carolla was embroiled in a lawsuit for years over the same thing. Yep. A company that just tried to claim, well, we have a patent on, um, you know, converting digital, you know, sound to you know digital format or something so very vague. Yeah. And uh, luckily, so someone like him said, no, no, I'm going to fight this. So he became a very public figure uh, for this yep. fight. But you know, if, if you had less money than Adam Carolla, you you might not be able to fight it. You might just have to give up, pay the 50 grand or whatever, and you know, sign your non-disclosure agreement, and now nobody is even going to know about the tragedy that happened to you. Exactly. That's it. And that's why 97% of the time people are forced to settle. 97% of the time, people just have to say, I'll give you the settlement money and I won't talk about this again. And uh, the average settlement, according to the research I did anyway, is about uh, $340,000. My settlement was only $50,000, um, but on a or, or attempted settlement, where they attempted to get out of me. Uh, the average apparently is $340,000, um, but it's less than $3 million. And so 
imagine a small business being forced to pay about $340,000 on average because they can't defend themselves the tune of $3 million. That's what happens 97% of the time. And we even see the effects of these non-disclosure agreements in the documentary itself because at, at some point, you get to a point with the people you're interviewing because you found a lot of people that went through something similar, but you get to a point where they can no longer essentially speak about their case. They, they're speaking yeah. about things in a generic way, and then you get to a point where you're asking more specific questions, and they all kind of have to say the same thing. I, I'm sorry, I can't talk about that. Yeah, oh, they have to shut down. Yeah. They just mentally have to shut down because if they keep talking, they're going to violate their non-disclosure agreement and then find themselves to be the subject of uh, tremendous uh, fines. So, yeah, they literally get to a mental shutdown on camera. Yeah. Austin, I'm curious if this whole ordeal, obviously, it has to have changed your view to some point, but I'm, I'm curious if it's changed your position on, on patents overall. I mean, do, do you think patents should even exist, or do you think this is a case where they're simply manipulating something legitimate into, you know, to scamming people through our legal system? Okay, so it used to be I didn't think much about patents. It used to be I didn't think about patents any more than your average typical viewer was, you know, which say, well, I never read any patents. I never filed any patents, therefore they are irrelevant to me. So I never really gave him much thought. But what I have learned as a result of going through this is that the majority, literally the majority of the patent lawsuits filed in the Eastern District of Texas come from entities that do not create any goods or services. They are just dummy corporations set up for the purpose of filing lawsuits. I've learned from looking at these patents that they do not actually invent anything. They simply describe what people are already doing. Let me read a sentence from this patent again that I was sued for. Computer code executable on an electronic device to prevent unauthorized access to electronic data stored on the electronic device. You see, that doesn't actually invent anything. That just simply says if anybody does something vaguely like this, we can sue you because we claim to own the idea. This patent is not an invention. It is a vague description of a thing other people have already made. And this is absolutely standard. And to show you how typical this is, the patent basically says the same thing 113 times to make sure that if anybody overturns one claim, well, then they can just see you on the next. So I have learned from this that the patents do not actually describe inventions. They are just cases where somebody says, I'm going to write this idea down on paper, and then I can sue anybody for doing whatever I wrote down. It's nothing but giving yourself permission to file free lawsuits. That's it. It's not actually an invention. So is this a case where are you now opposed to patents, or do you really just think it's a, a matter of reform? How, how far, how far okay. has, this, has this sent you down the path politically, I guess? Right. So I guess I don't I don't want this to be about me so much as I want it right. to be about what is. Exactly. So maybe I can talk about what is. Well, what is is I have never in my life at least seen a patent that is worth a damn. Even the supposedly good patents. You look at patents. There was a patent that came out of Boeing recently, and it was for like a hypersonic nuclear jet engine or something like that. But it was so vague that it might as well have been – a cartoon. You know, it's just like a, a rough crew drawing of an engine with a with an inlet and a nuclear reactor. Like like a child would draw like nothing I couldn't draw with no knowledge of it. <laughs> Any anybody, I mean a first this is the type of thing a first year or a, a first grader would draw. It's like, oh I'm putting nuclear reaction or the jet engine. This is gonna be awesome. It's something <laughs> like someone would draw in the first grade. It's stupid and it's pointless because it doesn't begin to get into what it actually takes to make a nuclear 
ramjet. It's just a crude drawing. But, but if in 10 years or 15 years, someone actually spends the hundreds of millions or billions of dollars to actually build a nuclear ramjet engine, and they go through the thousands of man years of work, hundreds of millions of dollars of research and development to actually build this thing, then some troll can come out of the woodwork and say, hey, you guys aren't allowed to build this engine because I had the idea. Look at my patent and show this patent of like a crudely drawn, you know, like first grader sketch of a nuclear reactor inside a jet engine. The patent accomplishes zero, zero in actual research and development, but only sets someone up to file a lawsuit against anyone that actually does the work. I'll give you another case, Amazon.com. Amazon.com had a picture of a rocket landing on a boat. It looked exactly, and I do mean exactly, like the Wile E. Coyote sketches from the Roadrunner. <laughs> you remember when the Wile E. Coyote, he'd have like this little diagram of the weight falling yeah. on the Roadrunner. And look, now I get to catch the Roadrunner. <laughs> I encourage you to Google this patent on your own. Um, it is literally an image of a rocket landing on a boat that looks exactly like a Wile E. Coyote cartoon. And I do mean exactly. And Amazon took this patent out. And then SpaceX, who is actually going to the trouble to do this – was then put in the position of spending untold hundreds of thousands of dollars in years of their lives overturning this stupid, stupid, stupid patent. Um, and so basically a patent is equal to a Wile E. Coyote cartoon. And I say this based on experience of looking at the patents, and you should Google the SpaceX uh, or Amazon patent for landing a robot in a boat. Or look at my videos on YouTube about patent trolling where I have the images and everything clearly laid out for all to see. Um, and you will see it for yourself. So people think of patents as being inventions. I have not seen that anywhere. Uh, the idea of a patent on, a, on computer software is absolutely stupid because when you write a computer program, the secret thing is the source code, not the idea of exchanging data, right? Let's say I want to make the Google store. What's the hard part? Saying somebody should have computers exchange data. You know, that's one part. That's the patent or two, making the Google store, right? <laughs> right? Where is the effort, right? Where is the energy? Where is the knowledge? So a patent for computer software is absolute garbage, absolute garbage. Oh, and that's something that people don't seem to realize. Holding a patent does not have anything to do with you having been an inventor of anything. Right. All you did is write down what people are doing. Now, the way the patent system is supposed to work, obviously, is you write down something no one has ever thought of before. And when you write down what no one's ever thought of before, you're advancing the state of the art and you should be protected for it. And that was what the system was made for. And when you listen to patent trolls describe the patent system, they say, well, it's so the little guy can protect his ideas. The thing is, they're lying. They are lying because the patents today do not they're not filed by little guys protecting their new ideas. They're descriptions of what people are already doing. And then the people that have written this down on a piece of paper start suing people saying, now you owe me money because I wrote down what you do. And the reason this happens is the patent office approves almost all of the patents, whether or not they actually describe anything new. Now, people listening probably right now are saying, oh, well, hold on. You can't say the United States Patent Office approves everything. What incentive could they possibly have to be so incompetent and to do so much damage? And the answer is when you work for the United States Patent Office, first of all, uh, they are paid 
a certain amount for each patent they approve. They are paid less than that for each time they argue against the approval of a patent. Therefore, basically it's a point system. It's like they get a certain number of points for approving the patent, but less points for saying the patent should not be approved. Therefore, the way the patent examiners can make the most money in the least time is to approve every patent. So it's a perverse incentive from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah, it is the it, the system is literally set up by the federal government for the patent examiner to approve every patent they get. And they approve patents with only I think it's like 10 hours of research. Like they get they get 10 hours to research the patent. Well, for that 10 hours of research, a, a stupid patent is approved. That's one stupid patent approval then results in tens of thousands of hours and millions of dollars of litigation and headache and stop business. So for a patent examiner trying to save himself 10 hours, he cost the industry tens of thousands to tens of thousands of hours and hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars in uh, bogus lawsuits. There's another reason the patent examiners get it wrong every time. They're patent examiners. They're sitting inside a building in Washington. Yeah, these are not inventors. They're not inventors. They're people – well, not, even if they were inventors, what difference did it make? Right, yeah. Here's, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do when you interview me. Before this interview goes any further, I want you to tell me everything. Please list everything been, that's been invented by humanity. <laughs> Can you just list it real quick? Uh, let's see. I how much time do we have that. here? <laughs> well, however much time we have, you need to list it all because if I'm going to present you with a new invention – you have to know whether it's ever been invented before. Not even that. You have to know if someone thought of it, didn't invent it, and is going to go fill out paperwork saying they thought of it. <laughs> exactly. So as long as you know, if you're a patent examiner, as long as you know everything's ever thought before, you can do your job. <laughs> they don't stand a chance. They don't stand a snowball's chance in hell. With that knowledge, then, would you, would you, I mean, would you, you'd have some recommendations at the end of the film that aren't as extreme as what I'm saying, but with this knowledge, would you just, would you advocate ending the patent system entirely in the United States? I would. I would, I, yeah, I would absolutely end the patent system, but, but I would make sure that copyright and trademark are well established and functioning and that that copyright applies to recipes for medicine for the pharmaceutical industry. The copyright applies to computer programs so people can protect their work. Make sure that copyright applies to whatever goods or recipes you know you create. In other words, patent describes ownership of a general idea. Copyright describes ownership of an exact thing. And so, yes, the patent system should absolutely be obliterated because it's a useless piece of garbage that is just sitting on top of all of us and ruining small businesses and can never possibly work because there's no way you could possibly have the government telling, you know, deciding who owns what idea. Of course, that's not going to work. But when people invent something new, they do need to have their work protected. Well, it should be protected by copyright because copyright describes an exact thing, not a vague idea. So of course, if you come up with a new invention, you should copyright it. If you come up with new medicine for a pharmaceutical, you know, uh, pill or something like that, yeah, copyright it. Nobody copies you, obviously. We should use copyright, not patent. Copyright des describes your invention. Patents describe an entire idea. Of course, trolls claim to own the entire idea. Yeah, and I think often the general public might not always understand the distinction between a copyright and patents. And and like what you're saying, a lot of what is currently classified under patent should more appropriately be classified under copyright. And if that were the case, you wouldn't have all, all of these crazy trolling lawsuits. Exactly. Well, if, if, if copyrights were just properly defined to cover the pharmaceutical industries as well, and patents were eliminated, 
the problem would be solved, and it would not cost the taxpayer a penny. Austin, you, uh, like I said at the beginning of the interview, this really does come across in your film that throughout all of this, throughout everything you've been to, you really uh, do maintain a very positive attitude, and and the documentary really has that, that really comes across in the documentary as well. You really did have a lot of fun making this, uh, just with the production and some of the funny skits that you do, so I really want to recommend people go out and, and watch this film, because we're only scratching the surface of this in this interview. There's oh, really yeah. so much so much more to learn, and it really is an enjoyable watch on top of that so uh austin i obviously i'm going to post all of the links where people can uh, view this but if you just want to name a few places people can find find the film uh, that'd be great yeah just we'll just google the patent scam and do it on itunes amazon voodoo dish network the you know the video on demand type places itunes and amazon and, and uh, ironically you can get it on google play too <laughs> yeah and you can get it on google play as well yep, yep. Right. just google the patent scam you'll find it austin thank you so much uh for spending your time to tell us about the patent scam i really do want to encourage people to go ahead and check it out and i wish you the best of luck in uh, all of your future endeavors and uh hopefully no more lawsuits coming your way if any do, I got my next movie lined up. There you go, and and we'll be we'll have you back on if that uh, if that tragedy ever uh, ever unfolds again. <laughs> They'll just be giving me the plot for my next movie. Bring it go. on. There you go. Well, Austin, thanks a lot, and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks. All right, folks, and uh, I said it at the top of the show. If you came into this episode, however you found it, whether you're a fan of the show or whether you just stumbled upon it, I'd really like to ask you to reevaluate your stance on patents. Now, I don't want to lump all IP in because while many, if not most, libertarians are against all intellectual property, I do at least see a distinction. I see more of an application for copyright in a potential quote-unquote private property society. I think there are a lot of ways people could recreate a sort of right to music that they wrote or even software that they wrote and do that through market agreements uh, with with the people that distribute their product or what have you. Uh, I think when you apply copyright to everyone in the world and start prosecuting kids downloading the Wolverine movie in, in Australia and uh, setting them to jail for years, and that, that's a real case, you can look that up, uh, that's when I think we have problems. But I do think there are at least is at least some base legitimacy to the idea of copyright, even if it's being applied in ridiculous ways. Whereas patent, I can't think of a single legitimate way that patents could, would, or would ever exist in a free market or in a remotely rational society, which clearly is not the one we're living in right now. If you're, if this interview didn't sell you on that, I encourage you to watch the patent scam. And, you know, I did press Austin a little bit on whether he just wanted to do away with patents because he does some make some recommendations in the movie that regard reform of the patent system. And to me, if you're only reforming, you're, you're basically ceding the point. You're ceding that patents are legitimate. And as we really got to the core to, it's not legitimate to just think of something and then say that no one else can do it. There's nothing legitimate to that. I mean, that really is, in the beginning of the documentary, you see them uh, make a joke about the wheel and patenting the wheel. But think about how, how ridiculous that is, because in today's society, if the wheel was invented in the last hundred years, someone would have a patent on that. <laughs> and someone would go around trying to stop people from using wheels. Does that sound ridiculous? It is ridiculous. It's a thought. It's, an, it's, a, it's a concept. It's not a specific thing. Now, I don't think we should be able to ban people from creating specific things either, but patents are so vague and so disconnected from the actual creation of something that this should be a really easy one to argue against. Some might even say that the existence of patents constitutes a conspiracy of sorts. Some would say that. I would never suggest such a thing on this program. However, there is a place where I might suggest such things, and that is in the Lions of Liberty Pride, because while we don't really talk about conspiracy theories on that this program, because I don't like to mix that stuff with the ideas of liberty, 
behind that little paywall for our Pride members, we do do a show called Conspiracy Corner where we look have some fun. It's kind of like libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor, and we have some drinks, and we take a look at some popular conspiracy theories. And I'm not even going to tell you the conspiracy theory that we looked at in the last episode. I'm not even going to say the words of the conspiracy that we looked into on this one. But let me tell you, if you enjoy the programming we do here, if you enjoy the kind of conversations we have, especially when we do our roundtables, I think you're going to enjoy this stuff. So that's all I'll say right now. But if you haven't yet, please do go check out the Lions of Liberty Pride. We just passed our first goal, so we've gotten all sorts of audio upgrades. Everybody that participates in the show is getting a new microphone. We bought some new mixers, which will help with some of our in-person recordings. So we are already improving the quality of the show. And uh, over time, once we build up more of a nest egg, we're going to really be pumping out some big-time marketing campaigns as well, because that is the ultimate goal here, to grow this program, to expand this conversation, expand the ideas of liberty. So please do go ahead and check that out at lionsofliberty.com slash support. There are other ways you can help the show, of course, ways that cost you no money at all, such as sharing the show with a friend, sharing the show with an enemy. (laughs) I don't care who you share it with, as long as it gets in the earbuds of some other people out there and hopefully gets them thinking about things differently. This is a good one to share with people, actually, because I think it's a very human story, and you know, not everybody comes into things. uh, I think people probably assume patents. They probably assume copyright, the legitimacy of these things, just because it's the way we're raised. We've always been taught that they are just inherently legitimate. But I can't say I've had too many heated arguments about patents, and I think this is one story that can actually get people heated about the idea that can get it, actually get people to think about the concept in a deeper way. So I do encourage you to share this program, share the patent scam, go and watch that movie, and of course, continue to listen to all the other fine programming here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is only one portion of it. Of course, on Wednesdays, we've got Brian McWilliams with Electric Liberty Land, his weekly look at comedy, culture, and liberty, as well as John Odermatt's weekly look at the broken criminal justice system every single Friday on Felony Friday. And that's why you need to hit that subscribe button, friends, so you don't miss a single episode. Other ways you can support us, of course, you can leave us a review on whatever platform you listen on. iTunes is still the biggest one. That's the one that helps us the most, so if you could leave us a five-star review there, that would be great, but you can also leave us a review on Stitcher or whatever other crazy app you listen to this show on. doesn't matter to me, as long as you help us get the word out. Of course, if you want to get the word out at parties or at barbecues or whatever, you can tout a Lions of Liberty t-shirt or maybe even a Lions of Liberty koozie. You can find all that stuff at our store at lionsofliberty.store. And of course, you can get a discount on that stuff just by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride for as little as $5 a month. Pride basically pays for itself if you get a couple t-shirts. So I do encourage you guys to check all of that out. Until next time, kids, live long and live free.